Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? Do not fear what they fear. Do not be intimidated. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God, he who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. This is the word of the Lord. I knew this past week was going to be a short one for me as far as Gail and my needing to drive to Shreveport, Louisiana late on Friday afternoon. It's about 350 mile drive so that I could give the commencement address yesterday morning at Centenary College, our Methodist school in Shreveport, Louisiana, and then drive all the way back. So rather than doing about two and a half hours of work all five days, I was well ahead of that pace when I came to Wednesday noon. I really debated about whether to take up another hour or so going to my Rotary Club or not, but Rotarians are supposed to go to Rotary. I went. And I was glad I did because the text this week is encouraging us to have hope no matter what. Keep on hoping no matter what. And at Rotary, we received a report from our latest team's visit to Nicaragua where we've been drilling water wells for the past 10 years. And the dream for that project came out of the Boston Avenue Church. Our Bob Scroggs, an engineer, was part of a volunteer admission team from this church to Nicaragua. They were building a small Methodist church in Nicaragua when Bob noticed children, 12, 13 years old, lugging five-gallon buckets of water. Late one afternoon, he decided to see where these kids were getting that water, and he followed a little group of them. They were walking three, four, and five miles to dip water out of a muddy ditch or a tiny little creek where donkeys and goats had defecated into the water. It was muddy. It was contaminated. It was filthy. But the little village had no electricity, and it had no water. Bob couldn't get this out of his mind. When he came back, he talked to me about it. I said, gee, Bob, we don't have the money to do a lot about that problem. And I said, but guess what? You and I belong to the Rotary Club. We're 500 members strong. They're always looking for a good idea. How about a water well in Nicaragua? And he took it to the appropriate International Service Committee, and they decided that'd be a great idea. And so we bought a used drilling rig mounted on the back of a truck. We have people in Rotary who have all kind of skills and know others who have even more and they scrubbed and painted and rebuilt and 
drove that truck all the way to Nicaragua. They found a retri retired water well contractor in Sepulpa who's willing to go, a Rotarian in that club, and he went down and started drilling the first well. We have now invested $400,000 in that water well program. We have drilled more than 300 water wells in little communities, about 100 people each. They're not even on the map of Nicaragua. There is no paved road into them. One goes off a paved road over three or four hills, and there are another 100 people living in little plastic-covered shacks. And what we discovered was that it's not only the hard work to bring back filthy water, but kids were being taken out of school at 12 and 13 years of age to be water carriers. So when we provide water to a community, we also keep the kids in school. And those who are willing to work hard can have a vegetable garden with this wonderful water. And if they work harder, they can produce more vegetables than they can eat. And they can sell the extra vegetables to somebody else. And the whole community gets better. As they were showing slides of this most recent trip down to Nicaragua, of little children just getting under this cascade of water, they've discovered a, a, a circular pump works best. It, it produces more water with less effort, and the water's just gushing out, and it's beautiful and clean and safe, and little children are underneath it, drinking it, bathing in it. Moms are harvesting, taking it to cook the evening meal. Little kids are still in school. Vegetable gardens are growing. And underneath all of these slides we were seeing, there was a song I'd never heard before. When Rotary was over, I hurried back and I turned on my computer and I tried to find it from the words I was hearing and remembering. I couldn't find it. It took Marianne Emmons 30 seconds to find it for me. Marianne found the song for me, and I want you to hear it. This is the story of a bird with no wings, but certain that it can fly, sailing on love into the headwinds forcing its way by and by. What do we name it? Hope is the right word. Hope is the bravest, most beautiful bird in the sky. Imagine ourselves becoming this bird we can when we dare to fly and see ourselves flying over the mountain. Hope is the bravest, most beautiful bird in the sky. Only hope can light the way, only hope can heal the heart, only hope can keep the clouds from hiding the moon and the stars. What do we name it? Only one word, hope is the bravest, most beautiful bird, the bravest, most beautiful word, bird in the sky. So the theme today is hope anyway. Let's take a look. First of all, this author says to us, sometimes we suffer because we've done evil. We've done the wrong things, and there are consequences to that kind of behavior. Rachel Shrubus has written that she, as a teenager, made a lot of bad mistakes. She said, no one had ever taken me to Sunday school. No one had ever taken me to church. 
No one had ever taught her to sing the great hymns of our faith. So she got into drugs. She got into sex. And then one day when she was 22 years old, late in the afternoon, in the home of a boyfriend, a light came on. Something said to her in her deepest being, get out of here and go to the nearest church. She told her boyfriend, I've got to go. She got in her car, 22 years old now, started driving, and the first church she came to was a Presbyterian church. She pulled in the parking lot and went in to see if there was somebody who could talk with her. And she poured out her heart. Guess what? She professed her faith later, was baptized, went to college, went to seminary. She's an ordained Presbyterian minister. And in her latest book, she talks about drugs and sex and really harmful family secrets. But she calls her book, The Girl Got Up. And she describes that story in the Bible about Jesus suddenly being confronted by a ruler of the, of the local synagogue who came to say, my daughter is very ill, she's dying. And Jesus started behind this fellow to his house when suddenly somebody touched him. He stopped and said, somebody touched me. Finally, a woman was produced. I did. I'm sorry. I've been sick a long time. I thought maybe if I just touched your robe, I would get better. Well, your faith has made you well. And somebody said, nah, forget about going to this fellow's house now. The girl has died. There's no hope for her. And Jesus said, let's go on. And when he got there, he took James and John and Peter with him into that room said to this girl, get up. And the girl got up. And Rachel, as a young Presbyterian preacher, says now, the girls can get up and the boys can get up. And only if you know there's death in the world and in you can you experience the joy of life in you, a resurrection in you. Number two, sometimes we suffer even when we're doing the right things. And this writer phrases it this way. You heard the words. <clears throat> now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? And some scholars believe the author of this letter had in front of him the writings of Paul. Remember, in one of Paul's letters, he said, If God be for us, who can be against us? And he really understood a lot of people can be against us. But if God is for you, does any of that really matter? If God is for you? Glennon Metton has written about her early struggles. As a teenager, she was bulimic. Then she got into alcohol, alcohol abuse, and became an alcoholic. And finally, through 12-step programs, she was introduced to a higher power. 
She learned how, somehow, to surrender as much of her as she could to as much of that higher power as she could comprehend, and her life began to change. She became a blogger about what it was like to get married, to have little children in the house, and there were so many who were reading what she was writing that publishers started asking her to put it in the form of a book, and she did. Her language is sort of coarse from time to time. She finds life is not simple for her, battling all these demons from her past, but she really believes she's working awfully hard at being a good wife and a good mother. In one of her chapters, she says, I still resent older women stopping me occasionally in a department store or a supermarket when my kids are ballistic and they're telling me, savor every moment, they will grow up so quickly. Savor every moment. And she said, one of these women said to me in a department store one day, carpe diem, carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day, she said. I'm trying to get through this checkout line, and there are six people in front of me with carts filled. I look around, and my little girl has pulled the bra I'm buying and put it on her head as if it were earmuffs, and the other one's got a sucker in her mouth. She obviously picked up off the floor, and I'm supposed to seize the day? Please, I'm trying to seize the moment, she said. And I can seize the moment when I'm waiting in that long line and see that I have good things in my basket that I can pay for. I'm standing in a line at the supermarket, and I wish that line were moving much more quickly. But I have food. This is America. I have food in my basket, and I can pay for it when it comes my turn at the register. And most of all, she said, I've learned I am a child of the Almighty, forgiven, forgiven. Number three, do not return evil for evil. A couple of Sundays ago at our lunch, family lunch after church, I was sitting between my two grandsons, Parker and Joshua. And Joshua, who's 14 now, said, Granddad, have you seen 42? I said, I haven't. Have you? Yes. Oh, yes. He and Parker and their dad, Trey, had gone to see 42. I said, what'd you think? And they were telling me. I said, I was in the first grade when Jackie Robinson succeeded with Branch Rickey in integrating Major League Baseball. So let me tell you how different America was in 1947. In 1947, the National Football League was not big in this country. The hockey leagues, the NBA, not big. Baseball was the thing. And nobody had television. Everybody listened to baseball on the radio. And you didn't have all this free agency in baseball back then. If a player was fortunate enough to sign with a major league team, 
he would play with that same team for 15 or 20 years. So if the Cardinals had the same third baseman for 20 years, you got to know who he was, who the shortstop was, the first baseman, the second baseman, their catcher. And so with all the clubs, everybody knew Yogi Berra was the catcher of the Yankees, and everybody knew that Mickey Mantle was the center fielder and would be for a long time. And I said, you guys can't really imagine how bad racism was in much of our country and what a big deal that was when Jackie Robinson became the first black athlete to play on a Major League Baseball team. They had listened to one particular line in the movie that they wanted me to know about, but I already knew about it because I know that Branch Rickey was a devout Methodist Christian. I mean an every Sunday, Sunday school, going to church Methodist Christian. And I also know Jackie Robinson was a Methodist every Sunday going to church Christian. But Jackie Robinson was an outstanding athlete at UCLA. He lettered in football, he lettered in basketball, he lettered in baseball. But he was a get down on your knees and say your prayers beside your bed every night Methodist Christian. So the line my grandsons loved was when Branch Rickey was about to integrate Major League Baseball and an owner of another team said to him, do you really think you can make that happen? And he said, yes, because I'm a Methodist and Jackie Robinson is a Methodist and God is a Methodist and we can make this happen. <laughs> do not return evil for evil. You've heard the line in the promos for the movie when Jackie Robinson says to Branch Rickey, I'm your man, I will fight this thing through. And he said, no, I'm looking for somebody who won't fight, who will not return evil for evil. And so when they threw the ball at Jackie Robinson's head, when they slid in hard to him when he was playing second base, do not return evil for evil. Number four, Christ Jesus also suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us close to God, this author says, this one who suffered as the righteous for the unrighteous has now been raised and sits at the right hand of the Almighty. No matter what, have hope and be ready at any time to explain this hope that is in you. Dr. Tony Campolo has written about a flight one time for a speaking engagement in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It was early summer, he said. I was really looking forward to being in the Rocky Mountains in early summer. Before I could board my plane, I was very much aware of a little girl jumping up and down and singing at the top of her voice, I'm going to see my daddy, I'm going to see my daddy, and I looked around at her. She was immaculately put together. She had little patent shoes on, those little socks that have lace on the top of them rolled down just right at her ankles, a really fluffy little dress, 
hair and pigtails with a ribbon on each one. But after 10, 15 minutes, you get really sick of hearing, I'm going to see my daddy, I'm going to see my daddy, and I was ready for us to board the plane. And about that time, a flight attendant came and took this little girl to get her seated first. And I prayed I'd be at least 10 rows from her. But when I got to my seat, she was right across the aisle. It was one of those flights where you get Coca-Cola and a cookie. But every time the flight attendant passed by, this little girl asked for another cookie. And she ate one cookie after another and drank more Coke and more cookie and more Coke and more cookie. And just before we got to Colorado Springs, a row of thunderstorms were moving up the eastern side of the Rockies. And that plane started pitching and bucking and pitching and bucking and up came all the cookies and all the Coca-Cola all over her. Nobody could help her. Even the flight attendants were buckled in. This was a rough last few minutes coming into Colorado Springs. And she reeked, he said. When the plane landed, I just wanted to get as far from her as quickly as possible, and I almost ran up the aisle to get out of that plane. And when I got to the end of the jetway, there stood a man, I kid you not, in a white suit, a white shirt, a beautiful silk tie, and he was eagerly looking down that jetway, and I thought, I'm going to watch this. <laughs> and I stood there, and just as little vomit face, he called her, got off the plane, this daddy got down on his knee. And when she came running, he swept her into his arms and stood up and twirled her around and around. He didn't seem to smell. He didn't seem to see. His little girl had come home. And that was all that mattered.